Good day, good afternoon, good whenever it is you are listening to this. Thank you very much for listening to this. You are checking out yet another, well, more of a streaming service and chill than a woke and big. Today I am sitting down with your friend and mine, Anchorage's own DJ Savvy, discussing the passing of the late, great DMX. If you are not familiar with the work of DMX, get your sweet ass familiar with the work of DMX. We discuss his legacy, we discuss his impact, And part of his legacy that is 100% worth talking about is his international legacy. There are folks right now who are doctors, who are lawyers, who are educators, who were inspired to learn English by DMX. I, I believe that 100%. And I'm sure that one of our international uh, listeners can point to somebody that they know who has accomplished something great in their life and they were... They were exposed to English because of a guy like DMX, and we're all we're all better people because of him. Whether you're an athlete and you listen to his music to pump you up, the guys I know at the gym, guys like Brandon Miller, have talked about at great length the impact uh, that the music of DMX has had on them and in, in their, uh, their their fitness experience in life. I've spent more time in my life as a DMX fan than I did not knowing who he was. He has just been such a big part of uh, my life over the last 20 plus years that I thought it was absolutely worthwhile to discuss the legacy of DMX with someone who is substantially younger than me, part of a completely different generation, and talk about the impact that DMX had on them and their music. DJ Savvy is a producer, he is an artist, and we discuss the impact of DMX on on his music and on his life. So with that being said, Earl Simmons, until we see you on the other side, thank you so much for everything you did. Thank you for everything you've presented with us. Uh, We're grateful to have had you in the universe. DMX, rest in power. All right, April 17th. This is the birthday of Redman. This isn't quite at all a 420, a pre-420 party. This is Alaska's own Mad Angler performing at Four Royal Parkers in lovely Ridgeway, Alaska. Not quite Soldatna yet, but uh, also performing, I think it's worth noting, is Wade. Some of you may remember Wade as the young rapper Munchies. He was a local rapper around here about mm, 10 years ago. Anywho, he is making his... I don't know, reintroduction as Wade, and I'm excited to see him perform. I'm grateful for this. I am excited to be a part of bringing him back to the stage and helping him realize his musical dreams alongside of one of Alaska's own native son MCs, the one and only Mad Angler. All right, so thank you very much for checking out the podcast. Please listen after the podcast and hear about some really cool stuff happening on the Kenai Peninsula that is not related to the concert on April 17th at Four Royal Parkers, which starts at 9 p.m. and is headlined by Alaska's own Mad Angler. By the way, uh, I think we're going to turn this into a regular thing that we do with the podcast, where we do a a get-together. We're going to call it Woken Bake Get-Togethers at Four Royal Parkers at least once a month. It'll be music, it'll be uh, comedy, it'll be something, but it will be a get-together from us to you. Anywho, so listen to after the podcast. You can hear some cool stuff from our supporters, including Iron Asylum, Red Run Cannabis Company, and 10th Planet Soldatna. All right, ladies, gents, and others, enjoy some DJ Savvy and myself and some DMX discussion. As always, by the way, links are in the description. All right, thanks for checking out the podcast. Have a great day, afternoon, or whenever it is you are listening to this. Thank you very much for listening to this. How's your day going? It's, you know what, it's, it's really not that bad. I've been uh, running around uh, doing the things that I, I know I'm supposed to be doing so that I can do the things that I want to do. So now I get to do the things that I want to do, like talk to you about stuff. I appreciate that, man. Uh, so what do you want to get into today, man? Well, uh, so the last thing I talked to you about while I was uh, while I was running around um, was the an old sort of idea that um, that I had about 
the the Tiger King experience or the Tiger yeah, King, okay. Tiger King experiment and how Netflix played into all of this early stuff at the very beginning of uh, this um, the, the pandemic back in, in March uh, of last year. Yeah. So. By the way, I, I have no like real evidence to back up anything that I'm going to say. Yeah. So. Okay. Alright. You're just basically saying your opinions and, 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 and theories, so I, I respect it. Yeah. Um, so if you look at um, the very beginning of this thing, when, when this was really starting to kick off, when people knew they not only became aware that there was a virus, but it was coming and we were told to prepare for the worst, batten down the hatches, all of that stuff, right? Yeah. The end is here. So, Netflix releases a documentary uh, that was produced by Bill Gates called Pandemic. At the very beginning of this, just happened to come out while everyone is stuck at home, right? So right, right off the bat, everyone is afraid of whatever is coming because Bill Gates and all of these virus, uh, specialists from the World Health Organization that they're going to get to know really well really soon are telling them that the end of the world is here, right? And yeah. that it's going to come from a, from a wet market and it's all bad stuff. Immediately after that, we get Tiger King. It's almost as if they knew that they had to give us something that was going to thrash our brains. The early stages of, of, this, uh, of these lockdowns, when people are stuck at home and they can't do squat, cannabis sales, liquor sales, anything that you get for advice, sales uh, uh, through. Uh, uh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, uh, through, the, through the roof. To the point they just legalized uh, cannabis in Virginia, the first certain southern state. Yeah, they just legalized cannabis in Virginia, and that's the first southern state to legalize cannabis. Well, Oklahoma. Is Oklahoma a southern state? I, a discussion that can be had. It borders Texas. I would define that as a southern state. Um, well, that's good for them. I mean, like that's good for good, good for both of them. I, ne- I I forgot that Oklahoma did that, but I was just reading about. Virginia, <clears throat> yeah, that's good for them. Cause I know in the South they fighting a little bit harder for marijuana to be legal because all those private prisons that benefit off locking people up from it. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a there's a lot of conversations to be had. Now, my understanding is that in California, um, there are programs for folks that were locked up with cannabis convictions to become licensed uh, distributors, licensed retailers, licensed uh, cultivators. And they they should have that all across the board because the idea of cannabis being illegal was just, it it was absurd from the beginning. It it should have never happened. We should never be where we're at with cannabis right now. Well, the other the other discussion is what about other drugs? You know, like are those things that we should uh, we should consider legalizing, or those things that we should consider decriminalizing? Like in in um, in Oregon, they've decriminalized. My understanding is they've decriminalized everything as far as like personal use. And and you saw and it's interesting because uh, I have homeboys in a different country and and, it, and speaking about Oregon, like like in different places where they legalize everything, the crime always drops. Like, things become less violent. Like, yeah, people gonna do what they gonna do, but it's just not like... If someone's gonna do cocaine in my neighborhood, I'd rather have them be able to get it from a store, manufacture legally, besides get it from someone that's having little girls fly in with, on planes and cut open their breasts on table and getting it from that. You know what I mean? If you're gonna throw... If you're going to get it from some cocoa leaf grower naturally, I don't really care. Like, I'm not judging people's vices or <clears throat> anything like that. But if it, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, I, I, I think the government should stay out of people's bedrooms and, uh, and people's bodies, personally. But I do, I, I do think that, like, like, I'm not for, like, crystal meth million legal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no medical aspect to crystal meth. Like, opiates... There's a medical aspect to it, you know, even though I, I don't agree with a lot of it, there's still a medical aspect to it. But crystal meth and, like, 
I think fentanyl should still be regulated by the government because the average person doesn't know what the hell they're doing when they get a hold of it. And it's so easy to overdose off of it. But that, that's only like two drugs that I got like problems with. Well, methamphetamines uh, themselves have been used forever. Uh, you know, the pilots have, used, have called them go pills, you know, like <laughs> got a guy that's got to fly, you know, a 23 hour flight or a 26 hour flight. I don't want him getting a little bit tired. I want him to be dialed in on super Adderall um, and figuring out like what he needs to do with what he's got. Um, well, that makes sense. So like, I, and I know that, um, you know, in, I mean, different cultures, different things. Um, but as far as like amphetamines go, like everything, everything that, that is manufactured was manufactured with a purpose. So like there was, there was someone who was cranking out the crank and, you know, it was like, we've got something here that could, <laughs> but, you know, there, there are dudes that work um, you know, 20 hours a day and, you know, don't sleep because they're consistently working. They're consistently cranking something out, no pun intended. Um, but that's just the way that they operate. They don't sleep. And this is, this amphetamines are a tool that they use to not sleep so that they can get more done. Uh, you're 100% right about that. I just think, I don't, I don't, you know, I just don't want it to be like, like uh, Pablo Escobar drug dealers run our country and shit like that. And they're blowing up hospitals when they're beefing. Like, I, like that's like, that's what I just don't want. Like, I don't care what people do. Like, and uh, speaking of drugs, um, this actually, actually goes into other topic that we were talking about. Uh, and I want to say this real quick. RIP to DMX. RIP to DMX. We lost, we lost the, we lost the goat. We lost the legend. And I want to talk about this highlight, like the impact this man has had on people's lives, the positivity he spread, you know, and just showing that um, no matter how much you fall, you can get back up and you shouldn't be judged by how much you fall, but how you stand up because, you know, DMX struggled with drugs himself. You know, he, he was never, he was never a, uh, he never hid that, you know what I mean? And he he always preached like a positive message and stuff like that. Like anyone I know, I know a lot of people that met him. I've never met him personally, but like, I don't know anyone that had a, said, you know, Chris, DMX was a bad vibe or, you know, he was like a bad, like, you know, a bad person or was a negative dude or, you know what I mean? So it's sad to see, you know, DMX go like this. Now, are you familiar with the uh, media takeout article that was published yesterday? With, no, no, I'm not. Okay, so citing anonymous sources, DMX received COVID vaccine days before heart attack. Family says no drugs. I read, I read, I read, yeah, actually, I take that back. I saw that on my homeboy's page and how I felt about it was like, I don't know if it's like conspiracy theories of people going against the vaccines or whatever. We all know DMX had a drug problem. And, and, and far be it for me to put a lot of faith into anonymous sources on a gossip web. It's not like I've done it before. (laughs) Um, no it's one I mean one of my favorite sources of information because a lot of times uh, media takeout will get it right sometimes I'm I'm sure they're making shit up as they go along Um, but nonetheless uh, I can't prove that they are I can't prove that they aren't Um, they do seem to be the only source that is reporting this Um, but yeah, everyone I'm seeing is talking about an OD, uh, you know, OD. I, but they're not talking specifically what he OD'd off of, which it leads a gray era for articles like that to, you know, run around and do their thing and create. Um, but but it's uh, – I don't like the fact that uh, – only thing I, I – mean, RIP DMX, I don't like the fact that he passed, but I don't like the fact that – I don't know, I saw some articles just being straight negative about his death. And it was like all the homes he lost from drug addiction and stuff like that. And like, I don't, I don't understand like 
I, I feel like even if you have a problem with a person, like if they died, your problem should be over because they're dead. You can't you can't you can't do anything about what they've done to you, like whatever. You need to you need to let it go. Like it, it, it it's it's death. You know what I mean? It's end, it's the it's the permanent end all be all. And I feel like people that pick on people that are dead, especially like you know you're not giving in a week or a family is to mourn or no time. And you just like as soon as they drop, you saying negative stuff. I feel like those people were. A lot of aspects are cowards because you couldn't say that when that person was around and you're waiting at the most vulnerable moment to be combative, which I don't respect. If you dig through anyone's past, <laughs> I don't care who it is. If you dig through anyone's past enough, you can find a reason to throw dirt on their name. But when people die, you know, it's more people that's being affected than just that just that just that person that died, like there's a whole family and stuff like that. Even though I don't agree with a lot of the, with the British, uh, with the British empire or kingdom, what a Royal family has done when it comes to like other, you know, we can go on a long rant of what they've done to like other places and other, other countries. But I feel like when people die, like you should need to at least give it a week or a couple of days to, before you go in on, on somebody. Fair enough. Um, but th that's not the reality is that's not the world that we live in with the media. A lot of them, uh, a, a lot of them kind of thrive and dwell on negativity. Like if, if the media was forced to be honest, just as honest about the good news as they are about the bad news, the news would look a whole lot different. It's easier to talk about the ugliness of someone's life, especially if they died or the perception is that they died in an ugly way. Now it's easier. Now I'm, I'm not saying that, that he died after receiving the vaccine, after reading the article, like I read the article, I didn't just read the headlines. Um, yeah. Okay. He had been vaccinated because he wanted to hit the road. He wanted to do shows. Now also doing some research, I saw that Previously, DMX had checked himself into rehab before he had a relapse. So, like, yes. he clearly had been making good decisions in the past. And and I have, I again, I like you said, I don't know the man. I've never met the man. Uh, I had zero interaction with him. But he had shown in his in in the past the ability to make a better decision than he would have previously, right? Um, he was preparing, he was preparing to do shows. Like he wanted to get, if, if he was getting a vaccine so that he could hit the road, DMX could probably still get $20,000 for a one-off show. Easy. Man, e e e easy. And like, I was reading on all this stuff when you died, I was reading all the stuff in my, Instagram, like he did a lot of features. Like he was about to come out hot again. Like he did a lot of features with a lot of young cats. He, uh, you know, he got a song with a uh, Pop Smoke. I heard, and he got a song with Young Blue, song with Hitmaker. Like he was uh, about to uh, try to turn up one good last time. And um, I, I watched the Drink Champs uh, podcast with Noriega a lot, and like one of his last interviews was on there. So he, I. Like, it seemed like his mind was in the right place. You know what I mean? You know, so. I repeated the, I grew up on his music, man. Like, that, like, Party Up, uh, Slip, you know, Slip and Fall, Can't Get Up, um, all these hit records. Like, I remember the year he dropped two albums, and that was absurd in hip-hop, to drop two albums in a year. And that was, you know, I mean, everyone's called him crazy, but he went platinum twice. So, so. What was your first, what was the first song you heard that you were like, okay, I'm on the DMX? Uh, I was a fan of like the Rough Riders and the Hot Boys stuff when I was younger. And it was that stop, drop, shut them down over that shop. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was, that, when I first heard that, I was like, yeah, this is, this, this was a, this is cool. And like also being like having a Southern family, we didn't listen to a lot of East Coast rap, but everyone like loved DMX, no matter if it was East Coast or South or West Coast, like everyone loved DMX. And like, he really brought, 
he really brought East Coast rap all over the world, and he wasn't hating on rap in different areas and stuff like that. So, you know, that's what I remember from DMX. And I and I and I got like I have homeboys that have all his albums. I can't say I bought all his albums, but I bought a lot of them. So uh, I was about 13 or 14 years old. I caught a DMX song on a, a, a sampler. Record labels used to put out samplers, and I believe this yeah. was a Sony sampler because I believe he was on Rough House at the time. But this song was called Born Loser. And uh, I'll include a link down at the bottom, uh, but it was very young, and not even very young, but like he, he was always older. It seemed to be older than everybody, right? But not like old, I don't know. He was like 28 or 29 when uh, um, uh, when it's dark and hell is hot came out, which was which was ancient for rappers at the time. Um, it, it, it was it, he broke a lot of stereotypes because even though he was that old, like the record labels could ignore how hot DMX was. You know what I mean? DMX was going like I just posted on. Um, one of his shows and it was literally like overseas and. People mosh pitting and it looked like it looked like a presidential event, like how many people was in the audience, uh, you know, and it, that's what DMX shows was like. Like people came out for DMX shows. So the first video would, um, was uh, Get At Me Dog. And it, it was shot in the tunnel on a Sunday night and it's black and white and it's like crazy, but it was a live performance. Um, now, Lior Cohen, I believe it was Lior Cohen, was talking about, like, when he first heard and first saw DMX, it was like uh, like a studio battle, and DMX had a broken jaw, and he was rapping with his broken jaw, and he was just da-da-da-da-da, and it was like nothing else. I was think- I've been thinking about this a lot, because we had a week, we had a good week to really listen to DMX again, because... I hadn't listened to DMX in easily months. It was gym music, but it wasn't anything that I had listened to a lot on a regular basis, but I've been going through and listening to it a lot. And it was, it was heavy metal for, uh, for kids that listen to rap. Yeah, it was. Um, it was, if you listen, if you listen to Southern hip hop at the town at the time and you needed heavy bass and you needed hi hats and you needed 808s, and you needed these these really crisp, like, southern snares. It had all of that, uh, because on one hand, you had Dame Grease doing these nasty, sinister horror movie, um, you know, stop being greedy type beats, and then you had Swiss Beats, who was, I didn't, I, and, and I still don't have a great appreciation for Swiss at that time, but those were rock songs, but southern rap songs, and it made DMX a star. Um, because DMX was just that good. Yeah, he, DMX was amazing, bro. Anyone, when it comes to hip-hop and what he's done for hip-hop, you cannot take nothing away from that man. Like, there have been so many rappers that wouldn't be here if it wasn't for DMX, Kiss, The Locks, <laughs> East Coast Rap, period. You know what I mean? Like, like he, he, he made a... And also his stage performance, you know, they're still talking about what he did at the Apollo and the prayer at the end. And he cried and made the whole audience cry. Like people talk about that story when it comes to DMX, like every year, I, every year I hear that story. That the Woodstock performance. Um, yes. Yeah. These are, uh, these are things that we're probably never going to see. And these are things that a lot of people have never seen. I don't think that you have guys like Killer Mike coming out the way they come out without DMX coming out a few years before them the way he came out. He came out as a one-man metal band. He was a he was corn, but one dude. He was <laughs> he was he was corn, but one dude, man. And like, yeah, that that's you know what? That's a perfect like that is a perfect branch off the DMX tree when you say Killer Mike. That's a good because that that reminds me like he's he's the he's he is his age, but the youth and older people still love them. The the bark now like Mike Killer Mike has one of the the greatest deliveries and he's got seventy three different deliveries. Um, but DMX was a he was a. Ozzy Osbourne. He was any great rock singer. He was any great male lead vocalist, and and he's gonna be missed. 
what he was able to do, what he what he did, okay, from from this from a very traumatic upbringing, and and that's the other. I mean, there's a lot that can be said about DMX's life, and if we just talk about the things that he did and that he accomplished, and that he didn't just open doors, but he like set them, he kicked them down, he came through with an axe, uh, and he let everyone in behind him. And he didn't. And he didn't see. one hundred percent. You you were a hundred percent right when you start talking about um, you know Jada Kiss. Would would the would any members of the Locks still be making music if not for DMX? And and that's and there's a lot of conversations that can be had um, about what he was able to do with with Rough Riders and Rough Riders management um, behind them uh, that. Maybe they would have just gone the way of Craig. Uh, no, rest in peace to Craig Mack. Maybe Carl Thomas would be another a, a better name. But they could have just they could have disappeared into the ether if not for DMX and um, and Rough Riders uh, management. Now it, the, we can talk about the impact of the Rough Riders Motorcycle Club. You know that was um, Jesus that, Christ. <laughs> My 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 uncle was a rough rider and he died on a motorcycle, so it's a it's a huge thing. Oh, uh, I I have buddies uh, from the military that were rough riders, uh, are rough riders. Um, if I'm not mistaken, there's a rough riders chapter in Anchorage. There might be, but it, like the rough riders brand is is international. Yeah, it's international. We can go to anywhere overseas and they're talking about hip hop. There's a couple people that we're there's a couple logos you're gonna see. You're gonna see a Snoop Dogg shirt. Someone's gonna be wearing a Snoop Dogg shirt. I don't care what. Someone's gonna be wearing a Snoop Dogg shirt. You're gonna see some form of Rough Rider merchandise somewhere, and you're gonna see a Wu Tang logo. You <laughs> in, in the '90s you would also see Cypress Hill and Ice Cube. So like, so you're, you're yeah, you would definitely see that. right. So I I grew up in Germany and and DMX in the clubs like that was the craziest thing is this dude could say the most violent shit, uh, the most fuck he said some fucking terrible things about people. You're whack. You're he twisted. Did. Your girl's a hoe. You're broke. The kid ain't yours, and everybody know your old man thinks you're stupid. You'd be like, <laughs> I love my baby mother. I never <laughs> let her go. I never let her go. That shit was so cold. That shit was so cold. <laughs> he said the meanest <laughs> shit. And it was, and that shit was so cold. We're going to have a good, a good time to this man saying fucked up shit. And we did. And a great time was had by all. Yeah, we did, but you can't get mad because he kept it so real. We all know some guy that's whipped over his girl and it's fucking up his life. <laughs> Even his parents know <laughs> that he that he's stupid. Like he like like he he made music like that, and it was like he DMX was was a blessing for us. He said the stuff that was on people's minds, but they were scared to say. I don't think it was just that. I think that he he and and guys like Sugar Free. Also gave young people advice they weren't gonna get from their parents. Like when when he had that line about your whack, your twisted, your girl's hoe. Like that spoke to me at the time because like <laughs> young Bill was falling in love with anything that was like, you know, Bill, we should you know do the thing. But yeah, um, and that included some ladies who had. Uh, you know, lovely ladies who were could who were very good to me and good to lots of other folks. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I mad feel it. Me. I feel it. We all, we all, we all, we all, we've all, we all, we all grow up sometimes. And man, DMX said a lot of uh, just he he has storytelling ability. Like DMX was like, and DMX one that he was a rapper's rapper, and he was one of those rappers that rappers love to run up and rap to. Because if you rapped in front of DMX and he said you dope, oh, you dope. Because DMX was never scared to call someone whack. Are you familiar with a guy by the name of Defari? So Defari was, was um, Exhibit's hype man. But he was also a teacher. He was also an educator. Uh, he had a master's degree. 
And uh, so when he spoke, I would listen. And he said that a, a really good MC is someone that can take a complex idea and simplify it. X would do that, but then X would do it from two different perspectives. So for example, stop being greedy, which you know we've talked about a lot. It's a perfect example. On, on his first single, the B-side to like his first real single as DMX for Get At Me Dog, um, is him rhyming from two different perspectives yeah. from a, a split personality. And it was and he wasn't using complicated terms. A lot of rappers at the time were like cannabis, where they would try and fit these huge big words and complex battle raps. DMX would just talk about fucking you up, but from three different perspectives. Uh, but stop being greedy was he took a complex idea, and and we talked about it being. Uh, you mentioned specifically him being an international guy. The lyrics weren't super complicated. If you're learning English in Germany or in France, these other places where learning English is mandatory in school, you learn that as a study tool. Like that is, that's not super complicated. You're not hearing, you know, a, a dude breaking down a lot of syllables. It's not tough, but the concept is something that, because we all love action movies. We all like horror stories, at least at a time in our lives. And DMX spoke to that, but DMX spoke to it in a way that lots of people understood. And, and it was, you could listen to it. If you were a kid in Sweden and you were, you were going through some shit there and this is what's playing in the background or you're in Russia or you're in Japan and you're learning English anyway, this is a guy telling action stories and you can kind of understand what he's saying and what he's talking about. He, he was an action hero. He was a rock star. He was an action hero. He was, in my opinion, very much one of the best rapping actors, acting rappers. He was, that was, that was his talent that I think that people forget about when they talk about him. I mean, he was a very talented man, but he was an incredible actor. Yeah, he was a, he was a, yeah, he was an incredible actor too. I love Belly. I still watch Belly to this day like it dropped out, man. Romeo Must Die, Belly. That's my that's my, that's my shit right there. I, those were good movies. Those were good actors acting well with a good script and nice camera shots. Oh, that was art. The the joint with a uh, with Jet Li, like who uh, and not just Romeo Must Die. Like he was cool. Like there were times that he played like, no one else could have been Tommy in, in Belly. No one else could have been Tommy. Like, it, only, it could have only been DMX. He's going to be missed, man. I, I, I don't know how uh, his, uh, you know, his right situation all going out from, uh, you know, his, uh, his music or, you know, because he died with, like, 15 kids. Yeah, but, I mean... <sighs> How many of them are like, you know, adults? I know he's got a, he's not he's got a young one uh, Exodus with uh, with his fiance, um, you know. And I'm sure here's the thing is I'm sure they will be well taken care of. I am positive DMX will be well taken care of. So remember that um, he did a versus last year against Snoop, and. Um, if you performed in verses, you, you get like an ownership stake in the company now. His family has money. You know, his, his, I'm, sure, I'm sure his child will be taken that's, that's care good. of. That's um, good. I, I would assume so. Um, that's good. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a heavy blow for hip-hop, man. Because it, it's one of those guys that like, when the OGs started talking to the young cats about what's real hip hop, you know, that was one of the figures it would bring up. And like, that's one of the guys that the young cats would all agree with. You know, DMX was like, if you, if you wanted to learn what rapping rapping was or how to perform or how to be an MC and captivate an audience, DMX. I think there are certain watermarks, right? Like, and, and this is in any any form of music. In rock and roll, there's, you know, like, uh, let's say Nirvana's Nevermind, and then, you know, then a few years later, um, you know, you have some other genre-redefining album that's in that line of work, right? 
but J our DMX is one of those watermarks in any time, in any, in any club, um, on any coast, in any country. And you can throw on a handful of DMX records. You can throw on a handful of Run DMC records. You can pull on a handful of Jay-Z records. Um, he definitely, he is actually has the number one song. He has the number one song on Apple Music right now. As he should. What is it? Rough Riders Anthem. Of course it is. Of course it is. Rough Riders Anthem. Yeah, but that, lots of people are just that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a classic. Next second one is Party Up, but yeah, the DMX is good music, man. You can't go wrong with the DMX album. He's a, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if DMX have ever dropped any weak bodies of work. Um, I, I think that some things didn't necessarily hit the mark the way they were supposed to. Grand Champ, I think, is one of my favorite records. Um, uh. Yeah, we're right here is probably, man, that's probably um, my favorite. We're right here. We're not going anywhere. We're right here. God. God. That shit was hard. That shit, that shit is hard, actually. Like, man, but I just want to know whether. Sorry, keep going. I've been listening. To, I mean, there was a lot of very dark stuff as well. Damien, um, the Omen with Marilyn Manson. I mean, there was he. He touched on a lot of dark and ugly topics that weren't really touched on in rap music. Not the way that he did. Uh, the Grave Dig is kind of touched on. I mean, the Grave Dig is touched on some dark stuff, but not the way that DMX did. I remember when Church folks wasn't fucking with DMX. <laughs> I, I remember that was the. That they were riled up by that. What's the hell is dark and hell? What's the hell is dark and hell is hot album? What dark is dark and hell right. is hot? Yeah, um, because he had the yeah, right. on there with um, uh, where where he's talking to to kind of to the devil. Now, um, fast forward to that second album that year, uh, the Omen with Marilyn Manson. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't like a lot of Mar Marilyn Manson songs, but that one was hot. I'm not, I can't, I can't even in front of that was, I was, that was a really, really, really good one. But speaking of DMX, let's just say the old, because he had a drug history. Let's just, let's just say if he, if he did die from an overdose from drug use or, you know what I mean? Do you think that's going to start a conversation in hip hop where, um, drug use needs to be talked about? with these labels, you know, you know, they go into these neighborhoods and he signed these kids that a lot of times never had a job. You know what I mean? And if they did have a job, it was li literally entry level. They give them an opportunity to make millions and millions of dollars party all the time. And there's no really like big homie or guidance to tell them what, how to handle their money, drugs or women. Do you think like hip hop needs like a union or, or, or like a class or like uh, like something for, for, for like the people that's on the come up like that? I don't, I don't think that it's just, um, that it's just hip hop. I think that the drug use is, uh, is across all genres because um, any form of music, right? A any form of art or entertainment, if you have young folks who are getting their asses kissed on a regular basis with an excess of money that they, they've never learned how to handle, they, they're, they don't have any mentors. They don't have anyone looking out for them. Maybe they've got a manager, but their manager might be a piece of shit. Um, you know, like it's a lot of that stuff is the job of a good manager. But unfortunately, a lot of these kids don't have good managers. Now, DMX's story about um, coming into contact with crack is is a lot is really tragic. But as far as um, a lot of these kids getting hooked on, you know. Um, on opiates, whether it's lean, whether it's, um, you know, 15 other things that, that they can get their hands on. Um, yeah, it, I think that that's, that's a problem across genres. I think that maybe you see it less in, uh, in a lot of family run businesses, um, in, in, in the music industry. And you see that, you'll see that more in, 
R&B and, and sometimes you'll, you'll see it in, in pop and rock where you see like there's a brother foundation. There are actual legitimate brothers that are together versus uh, 16 kids that just kind of know each other. Um, then you've got <laughs> personalities and 16 people uh, with their own idea of the way things are going. However, if you've got a strong personality, like you've got a father or mother team there supporting you, you might be able to make it out okay. But a lot of these kids um, are getting their asses kissed by, uh, by a producer, by a production company, by this person or that person, by sometimes, a lot of times, by their fucking parents. Uh, it, it's their parents controlling yeah. everything about from their image to the music that, that uh, is being written. Um, and, and it's the parents, it's like shitty parents who um, force their kids to be athletes so that they can live off of, um, you know, whatever glory that, that you know, they failed as a, as a person. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I just think uh, education when it comes to drugs, because drugs is not an entertainment problem. Drugs is a, a worldwide, it's not a race issue. It's not a, it's not an age thing. It's not a sex thing. It's not a political thing. Drugs are, drugs are out there and drug abuse. I don't think drugs is a problem, but I think drug abuse is a problem and needs to be talked about more in school. You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like education is the key to solve a lot of these problems we have. And I feel like a lot of parents, when they send their kids to school, they be so uncomfortable with the idea of their child growing up. They don't want their child in the sexual education class because they ain't ready for it. Or they don't want their child in the drug education class because it's too real and they don't want, you know what I mean? They want to keep their baby a baby. But you got to understand I rather you should rather have your child be educated the proper way besides, you know, like, you know, God forgive me. Um, I don't want to disrespect no one, but like no one wants to be like, like, I don't want my child to be finessed like DMX was by his best friend. The first time he tried to crack was his friend finessing to smoke it. Yeah. Um, you you don't want to, yeah, you don't want your parents, or you don't want your kids educated by people who don't have their best interest in mind. Um, 100%. And so the other, the other problem that we have is that we end up relying on, on teachers to be the educators of things that maybe should be taught at home because parents are uncomfortable. Um, well, we don't want to talk to our kids about sex, so we're going to rely on public education, which we don't trust anyway, to give our kids the very best information on on sex, the conversation we don't want to have with them. Uh, same thing with yeah. drugs, with uh, any other complicated decision, uh, so that you're kind of, as a parent, you're left at the mercy of whatever the, the curriculum says or whatever this teacher says, which may be 100% different from what you as a parent want your kid to be taught and, and educate them with, with the information you want them educated with. I agree with that, but I understand. I I I want it still in school because it gives a chance for people to be educated that their parents are not educating. I think educate. I think educated parents and parents that got their shit together, they gonna they gonna talk to their kids regardless. Like I'm not worried about those parents. They know what the fuck they're doing. But you understand, like most parents, most parents are not. It took me a while. Well, I knew when I when I started growing up, like most parents, my parents, I was blessed to have good parents. And I realized real quick that most people don't have good parents. And a lot of parents are deadbeats. A lot of parents, a lot of parents don't, don't, don't really care. So like, I don't want to take that out of the school system because it gives a chance that, that people are not being educated, can be educated. So it's like it's like one of those be damned if we do, be damned if we don't. But like if we're talking about stats and numbers, you know, every school that has sexual education, you know, it the pregnancy rate goes down, the STD rate go down when they try to keep it keep it private, sexual education private, or a couple people can be educated. That's when you know they got to come into the school and have an auditorium meeting and be like, yo. The clap has been spreading through the school, you know what I mean? And we need to clean this up because it's, it's getting real now. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you, you, we got to fix this. So is that what high I school feel is like in Anchorage? What? Is that what high school is like in Anchorage? 
Um, that's that's what that's what that's what that's what high school like in a lot of areas, and but also in, in Anchorage they had a problem with that. You know, a couple people had you know clap burning going to the clinic and stuff like that to the point where you know we're gonna have to talk about this. So you know what I mean, like, or you can get someone seriously hurt, or you know what I mean, because people want to look the other way. So I feel like it's a damn if we do, a damn if we don't situation. But I feel like education is key and it's still like i rather have i rather have like education be there for for that you know what i'm saying yeah no i i uh, i'm with you 100 percent. I, I think that's if you're 15 or 16 that's an awkward assembly to have and kids are fucking way younger than that these days kids oh 100 percent, 100 percent. but if you're just a regular sophomore you know like that's that's an awkward conversation to have with everybody, but yeah, I, you know, kids are, kids are going to be kids. And, um, if, and if you don't, if they're not, if you're not educating them, like whatever the risk could be, whether it's a vehicle accident if, or it's a teen pregnancy, whatever it could be, if you're not preparing your children for it, um, then they're going to get, they're going to figure it out in the real world. And that can be a lot less forgiving. Yeah, and, and all that, that 100%. But also, it's like, you know, I, I, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, speaking of rap music, you know, my parents taught me uh, about, you know, sex, you know, when it came time period like that. Thank God they did. But I ain't gonna lie. I was an Ice Cube fan. I remember. I was an Ice Cube fan. And he had a song about, like, wearing a condom. You know what I'm talking about? Jimmy Hats, have you ever seen? Yeah. But you don't do you do you know how many people come to Ice Cube and be like, hey, you saved you saved me on this, and he honestly he saved me on that. Where you know he saved me on that because I started like for a while I didn't have condoms, then I started like you know having condoms. Like I was still having sex, but I was having condoms, you know, because you know Ice Cube rap song and how he was pointing out and breaking it down, it made it seem like yeah, this is the smartest choice. Cause he don't want to end up with no ratchet baby mama or you know what I mean or stuff, stuff like that and he, and he kept it real and sometimes kids need to hear that and I wish uh I think rap music has a good balance these days but I think it has a I think we glorify more things than other but I wish we would uh glorify we I wish we would turn up as much as we would educate I think there's some uh some really good music out uh, whether it's hip hop, whether it's um, shit, there's all kinds of really good music coming out, and I think there's a lot of garbage as well. Oh Jesus, yeah, I mean, but that's and, every genre and every generation. We always have garbage. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that people get wrapped up into the nostalgia of of old music that they have a hard time looking for new stuff, or they're so wrapped up in you know, what an artist did 15 years ago or, or eight years ago or 20 years ago that they they neglect what the artist is doing now. You know, and sometimes these artists are doing, are, are making great stuff and sometimes it's not as good as it used to be. What do you have for new music? Tell me, tell me what you, re- what you would recommend for someone who is looking, let's say someone likes DMX, who would they like that is newer? And then how do we define new? I don't know. DMX, I can sense like, I listen to DMX. I sense like a lot of rappers that come off the DMX tree. I, I hear Kendrick. I hear a lot of Kendrick when I hear DMX. Like the aggressiveness when he raps. I, I would recommend like Section 80 to any young person. If they want to listen to a good hip hop album, Section 80. I would recommend, um, ooh. If you want to listen to some older stuff that's good and they like DMX, I would recommend Dead Presidents. Yeah, I definitely recommend Dead Presidents. If they want to, I would definitely recommend like the Locks albums. I would also, you know, if you wanted something more modern and was Young Persia, Flatbush Zombies. Flatbush Zombies is, is, is amazing. Um, they don't get enough credit, but they de- they definitely deserve it. Um, and also, who else? If it was like DMX, now we're trying to match it up. Um, little TJ from New York, he got some good stuff. My girl put me on to him. 
And the last new album I listened to was weird. It was uh, Demi Novato's was not that bad. Demi Lovato lost me um, when she said when when she compared her uh, her uh, survivor's guilt. She said, "What happened to DMX could have happened to me." Yeah, I was like, "See, that's now." I was like, "Man, I just I can I can go on." Yeah, I feel you on that. Like that, when I heard that, like you, we, you had that connection right there. You had that same look on your face when you said that, and I had the same look because, like, when she said that, like, I don't like people taking tragedy and trying to make it about them. Like, this ain't your moment right now. Like, you had your moment, and you can go back to your moment, but this ain't your moment right now. And one thing I don't, I don't understand, like, how is Demi Lovato is put on a pedestal for her recovery? When I remember the media was tearing down Whitney Houston every second they had. I remember they were tearing down Whitney Houston. And it didn't seem like the media doesn't have have the same viciousness towards uh, Demi Lovato. Well, she's done more drugs. And she's been caught up more and more. And she's, you know what I mean, way more situations and everything. And, um... I don't know. I feel like the media is biased, and I, I, I bias in a lot of ways. Oh, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't disagree at all. Um, and we treat we treat I'm people whose opinions maybe we shouldn't care about like we like they matter. Like at the end of the day, she's still an entertainer that made some really bad decisions. Right. And, and these are all kinds of entertainers who have made some very bad decisions. Um, however, they were entertainers that were also relatively young when they were introduced to some pretty traumatic stuff. And, and we should we should all give them a little a little bit of respect. But I they tore down Whitney. You are they right. They they they. Yes, uh, and they, they didn't give her a chance to. They, they didn't give her a chance to recover like they gave Demi Lovato a chance to recover. There was, there was on everything was a crack joke. Even even when she was on interviews, they made it seem like she was like strung out all the time. Like she didn't have no feeling. Like all she cared about was, was crack and like you know what I mean. Like they, they really show. did tear. What they made her a freak show. The, the they reality did. TV show with Bobby Brown. They made it a spectacle. Now I get it that she signed on and she agreed, but we talked about you also mentioned like a like a union or someone to look after the artist. That is clear evidence that there's nobody looking after the artist. Well, there are a lot of people saying yes. There are a lot of people that that aren't saying no. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe that's a bad idea. Um, and how much of that is the artist's responsibility? Because at some point there may or may not have been somebody there to to give them some advice. Yeah, I I agree with you on that one. But also, that was the era. That was the era of like reality TV was kind of starting to get popular, and people were looking for investments and you know people to sign on deals. But I just feel like no one took that businessman to a side and was like, "Hey, I don't think you need to put this person on TV right now." Like they not they not physically healthy or mentally healthy to be on TV. You know, because if you're going to be on TV and have cameras follow you right there, your mind got to be in the right place. And you just, you know, putting the camera on someone like that, it's going to get, you know, dramas and ratings, but it's also going to make you look look at that business person like, so this is what you're trying to do for entertainment? At the end of the day, right? At the end of the day, whether it's Whitney Houston or it's uh, Demi Lovato or it's DMX or it's Prince Andrew, or it's um, whoever it is, right? In the end, right? If, if we're talking about drug use, well, maybe not so much with Prince Phillips, except for Adrenochrome. That's a whole other. That's a whole other <laughs> conversation. Ultimately, like these are still grown-ups that made decisions, right? Um, and. And there's in, in the case of, of Whitney Houston and and, uh, and DMX, 
and um, John Belushi and uh, Lenny Bruce and all these other brilliant artists that we've lost to um, to addiction to to drug use, like it leaves this void, right? I watched um, a performance of My Guitar Gently Weeps, and it was Prince and Tom Petty and a whole bunch of other folks, right? But it was it was a moment that ultimately, because of drug overdoses, um, we don't get to have these, these moments anymore. Uh, I, I don't have like a Jerry Springer type final thought, but like, these are people that we are going, uh, we're going to miss. And um, if you think you need help, you need help. Yeah, well, and, and I think, um, I speaking of, on the urban community, I think, I think for a while it was like, it was cool to do drugs, but it was not cool to get help. You know, for a long time, like people would, people would, uh, I'm on the phone, people would, uh, people would, uh, you know, glorify drug use, but they would shame them for being in rehab. You know, they would, that's when people would start looking at you funny. But when you catch them in the club, turned up, you know, or doing whatever in the street on camera, you think it's lit. But when today to a point of, you know, they foaming at the mouth and they trying to get help, you don't really want to rock with them no more. And another, actually, celebrity, thank God that he didn't die, but drug issues and drug problems, famous Dex. He went, he, uh, you know, he had a, a IG, uh, where he was really strung out and he, he was signed to his best friend, rich kid. And when rich kid saw him, he did a video of taking him to rehab and he didn't do that to show off, but he did that. that I'm going to support you. You know what I mean? Like we need to make going to rehab and getting clean just as cool as we did uh, as uh, as, a, as it is getting high, and I respect that. Robert Downey Jr., another example. Like, you can you, you can have a lot of fun Googling the, the trouble that Robert Downey Jr. got in for drugs in, in, the, in the early 90s. Like, he had, he had a lot of fun getting into a lot of trouble, and, and he's a He's a guy who cleaned up, who sobered up, who who went to jail, who fucked up. Um, yeah, none of this is fun. Like withdrawals aren't fun. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure, like choking on your vomit and dying from it is not fun either. No, no, no. I, I <laughs> I'm sure that if you asked Jimi Hendrix uh, how much fun that was, I'm sure he would tell you that not a, it wasn't a lot of fun. He probably regret it, you know. What I mean, but that's the thing about death, you know. You can't there's no rewind button on death, you know. When you're gone, you're gone. And uh, I would like anyone that's hearing this podcast that if you think about uh, getting help, you know, there's a lot of Google hotlines, and you should get it. And you should be ashamed. You should never be ashamed of bettering yourself. You should never. I don't care where you at in life. You should never be ashamed of educating yourself or better or bettering yourself, you know. And then. And the first step is wanting to be better, admitting that you, and also admitting that you have a problem. Um, and you're going to meet some really cool people. You're going to meet some really cool people at your AA meeting or your NA meeting. Like you, you're going to meet people who have been in your shoes before you and can tell you a more comfortable way to walk. It was lovely talking to you. We're going to talk again soon. All right, peace. Peace. All right, I would like to thank Iron Asylum, located at 35165KB Drive Behind Save You More. I was there today. I brought Young Hickson. We took the long walk to nowhere. I swung some kettlebells. I got a decent stretch and workout in, and I had a good time. The place is open 24 hours a day, so if you're you know, like at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're like, I gotta work out, I gotta get fit, well, at 3 o'clock in the morning, the best place for you to do that is 
Iron Asylum. For more information, give Brandon a call at 907-953-4720. By the way, We'll be talking to Hunter Cochran very soon. She is the proprietor, the owner. I don't know if you know. I don't know if that's the right word. She's the owner of Lift and Sip Co., which is um, right behind Iron Asylum. So it's next to Save You More. Anywho, they are a coffee shop that sponsors professional competitive bodybuilders, and their owner. Uh, she's got a name. In fact, I just said it a second ago. Hunter Cochran, uh, she competed and she won last weekend in Orlando. And a couple, a couple of Iron Asylum athletes, including one of their trainers, Tyler Basil, uh, won in competition this weekend in Anchorage. So Hunter last weekend in Orlando, and then Hunter and Tyler uh, Basil and a couple of other Iron Asylum athletes took home some hardware this current for this current this past weekend in Anchorage. So we'll have more information on that at a much later date. We'll talk to Hunter about uh, how uh, well I guess we'll learn all about female competitive bodybuilding. Um, but yeah, check them out. They are behind Iron Asylum, so right next to uh, Save You More. All right, uh, back to Iron Asylum. Their number 907-953-4720 for more information. They've got treadmills. They've got uh, all kinds of equipment. They've got machines. They've got uh, free weights. They've got, I mean, anything you could possibly want, they've got. All right. That you can find them on, uh, you can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them all over the place. All right. If, if there's a social media platform short of Twitter, I'm sure they're there, and they might actually be on Twitter. So there's that. All right. Nine zero seven nine five three four seven two zero is the number for Iron Asylum. Next up, Red Run Cannabis Company, located on the Kenai Spur Highway. They are the growers of fine cannabis and the brewmeisters of Hashade. They also make canna caps, honey sticks, peanut butter, and they carry flour from your favorite cultivators and concentrate and ink extractors. I'm all over the place with my pronunciation today. Red Run also has their own manufacturing facility where they make decarb oils. They make the always popular cartridges. They make, well, they make all kinds of stuff, all right? So if you like decarb oil, if you like making your own edibles, Red Run has products for you. And 420 is coming up, and they've got some really special deals at their physical location, which is on the Kenai Spur Highway. All right, Hashade and all other Red Run products are available at finer dispensaries throughout the great state of Alaska. But if you are in the Kenai Peninsula area and you're like, hey, I want to go to the Nike town of cannabis products made by Red Run, then you should check out Red Run's physical location on the Kenai Spur Highway. Now, they also stack edibles from folks like Lady Grey and Creative Confections. So if you're trying to get your hands on some super dope or super dope, Super dope, 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 dope. Uh, taffies, they've got you. All right, if you're trying to get some fair trade Peruvian cocoa ice cream, they've got you. If you're looking to get your hands on some of the best damn granola known to man that is made in Alaska, they've got you. All right. That is Red Run Cannabis Company on the Kenai Spur Highway. They also carry Alaskan-made Frontier CBD. So be sure to ask your bud tender for suggestions and recommendations. I spoke to my bud tender for suggestions and recommendations today, and I got a lemon meringue cartridge. Check out RedRunCannabisCompany.com for more information as well as weed maps for their current menu. Last but not least, 10th Planet Soldatna, located at All-American Training Center, also on the Kenai Spur Highway. Classes kick off at 7 p.m., and they go until we're done rolling, which could be, I don't know, 9 o'clock easy, depending on free rolls and stuff. Anyway, come by on, uh, on Monday, start your week off right. But 10 Round Tuesday happens on Tuesday. That is 10 rounds of 3 to 5 minutes uh uh, of rolling. So like you're talking about 50 minutes of jujitsu, 30 minutes of jujitsu with like a minute break in between to let you get some air, let you get some water, but be ready to roll in the next minute. And it's hard to take, you know, like a, a, a round off like that because it's just consistent rolling. 
Classes are taught by Curtis Hemberoff. He is a 10th Planet Black Belt under Master Eddie Bravo. So if you're looking to learn from a black belt in the art of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, this is your perfect opportunity to do such things. All right. Again, classes kick off at 7 p.m. and they wrap up whenever they wrap up. And it's a good time. You get to meet some really cool people and do some really cool stuff like practice killing each other. All right. Thank you very much for checking out the episode. Thank you very much, DJ Savvy, for sitting down and sharing your thoughts and opines and feelings about the late, great Earl Simmons, a.k.a. DMX. All right, ladies, gents, and others, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. Without any further ado, here is your cannabis warning. As per 3AAC 306.360, Alaska Marijuana Control Board Cannabis Use Warning A. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. B. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under its influence. C. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. D. For use by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children. And E. Marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding.